the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. My name is Rhody Fisher. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for bringing us here today. We pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart will be pleasing to you. We ask, Lord, that you would be about our conversation. And especially, Lord, give us understanding of your word. Be with those out there that are listening, that they would have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. I am Thank in. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do want to introduce our special guest in just a minute, but I'm going to read a couple of um, verses out of. Well, actually, I'm going to read the whole chapter of Psalm 56. And um, so here we go. Lord, give us understanding of your word uh, for the director of music to the tune of a dove in a distant oaks of David, uh, Miltam. When the Philistine had seized him in Gath. Now I studied it in the King James, but I've got the NIV here, so I'm going to switch off. Sorry, these Bibles look so much alike, <laughs> but I'm going to switch off. It'll just take me a second here. So I'm going to read, read it out of the King James, and here it is, chapter 56, verse 1. Be merc- this is again David writing. He's in a desperate place again. We've been reading the last few chapters, and it's all about him asking the Lord to be with him. He knows he's a sinner, as we all are, saved by the grace of God, the blood of Jesus. But he's asking for God's help again. So here he is. He says, be, merci- be merciful unto me, O God. For a man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. I don't know about you, but we probably have all been there. I know I have, where I feel like something is fighting against me. Someone is fighting against me. It's challenging. It wears you out. You're just exhausted. And he recognized, he recognizes he's in this place. My enemy, the chapter, I mean, verse two, my enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. He's saying to God, they're against me. I've got a lot of enemies here. And I know that when I came to know Jesus, I didn't realize how many people would come against me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even saved people. And those hurt the most. And as we read in the previous chapter, he his son was against him, His his best friend plotted against him. That's the toughest time. Anyhow, he's in the same place. Uh, Chapter, I mean, verse three, what time am I afraid? I will trust in you. I will trust in thee. So when we're afraid, who do we trust in? We need to put our trust in him. And I just said it this morning, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on, not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And, you know, the scriptures are kind of easier to say when you're not in this place of despair, but it's in that place of despair that we need to really grab onto those scriptures. Um, I remember somebody saying to me years ago, I'm trusting in God. I'm leaning on those scriptures, but sometimes I need a real person's hand to hang on to me. And I know that we've all been in that place. Like my grandson used to say when he was really, really little, um, instead of saying, hold me, he would say, hold you. And he'd lift up his hands and he'd say to us, 
hold you, meaning like, I want to hold you, but really he wanted to, us to hold him. And so, yeah, sometimes we need that real life hug. And this is the time of trouble right now. A lot of people are desperate. And so here he is, and it's, you know, by the grace of God that he's calling on God. Verse 4, in God, I will praise his word. In God, I will put my trust. I will fear, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they wrestle my words. All their thoughts are always against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. So they're they're looking for opportunities to cut people off at the knees, to slander them, to create lies about them. I remember working at this place where this girl really, really hated me, and she would create these stories. And I think, where did they where did those stories come from? People can conjure up a lot of things about you. Um, just trust in him. He will take care of those enemies. There's a scripture which I didn't write down. The pit that your enemy digs for you, they will fall in. Um, sometimes, you know, we want them to fall in, but leave it up to God. The right time, he will allow them to fall in. Okay, verse 7. Shall they escape iniquity? In thine anger, cast down the people, O God. He's asking them to, asking God to take care of them. Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. They, are they not in thy book? Now, this is kind of an interesting verse. Um, God knows our wanderings. He knows our coming in and our going out. He knows everything we do, say, think, go, wherever. And this word wandering, as we're walking through life, you know, it, 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 some, it implies almost he knows when we're wandering, possibly in the wrong direction. And he does know that, but he knows when we're going in the good direction too. He knows everywhere we go. And then it says here, put thou my tears into a, thy bottle. And it's really interesting to know that it's saying that God is bottling up, bottling up our tears when we're hurting the most and those tears are flowing. And you think about, you know, does anybody see me? Does anybody hear me? Does anybody know how much I'm suffering? God does. And it says he bottles up our tears. I I take that literally. Like he's got this little bottle and he's, cover, you know, taking all our tears and putting it in a bottle. Um, some people think that it's just he's taking note of it. He's writing it down. Um, he, everything that we do and say and think, it's all recorded in this book. And our tears are recorded too. So could it be that it's just recorded or is it literally in a bottle? I think it was Paul Bunyan. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on this. But I think he said um, the reason it says here that God bottles up our tears is that when we get to heaven, he can wipe them away for us. I think that's a beautiful way to think about it. Whichever way it is, it really means that he takes note when we're suffering when we're hurting, when things are tough. And for a lot of us, it's this time. And and it's the time that he was writing this. It's so beautiful that he is such an open book to God. His heart is just wide open to how he's feeling. And that's how we need with, to be with God. He knows it anyway. We just have to say it. <clears throat> okay, so we're in verse 9. When I cry unto thee, then shall thy enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. I love that. If God is for you, who could be against you? And that's that's a scripture that I lean on all the time. If God be, is before us, who could be against us? I believe it's Romans 8.31, Mark. If God be for us, who could be against us? I think it's Romans 8.31. Um, and we should know that because there's no one else can that can be against us if God is for us. They can be against us. God can stop their hand at any time. But some of these things that we go through, these hardest trials, I know for me, I remember when my previous husband passed away, I thought my life was over. I didn't think I could feel so much pain and still be breathing. For some of you, you're in that pain right now. 
but God sees it and God is there. He is for you. He is for us. The only one that's against us is the enemy. So know this, God is everywhere that you go in every minute of the day, every second, no matter what you're going through. He is for you. He is not against you. Okay, verse 10. In God will I praise his word, and the Lord will I praise his word. He's putting his trust in God and in his word, in God's word. This is the only truth right here. God, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's it. He's written this Bible for us through all of these different men that wrote it down for us through the Holy Spirit so that we can lean on him. He is the word and Jesus is the word. And he is the one that we can lean on in all of this time. And this is what David is saying. I will praise his word in the Lord. I will praise his word. Verse 11, in God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. Boy, that's a big statement. I remember, um, I guess it was in the 70s, I read this book called Like a Mighty Wind by Mel Torrey. And he said he could not, he was, he got saved in Indonesia and the Holy Spirit fell upon him. People were getting saved through his ministry, whatever. But he said in his book, I'll never forget this, he couldn't wait to come to the United States. Why? Because he felt like even a country, a country that would put in God we trust on their money, they must be praising the Lord all the time. He couldn't wait to get off the plane. And I think when he landed here, he was really disappointed. He said as he was walking down the halls of, you know, the those long aisles that they have when you get off the plane at LAX, he said there were pictures on the wall of cigarettes, alcohol, and he thought, wow, in God we trust. And they've got all these pictures, of all these ads. Then he got in a car and there were big billboards of this kind of stuff and women in sexy clothes trying to sell all this stuff on these billboards. And I guess this was in the 70s, but he was disappointed. Um, but yes, in God we trust. We have to put our trust in the Lord. Um, but the part that's hard is, I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Sometimes it's a little bit scary. And so we really have to lean into God in the hard times. Okay, uh, verse 12, thy words are upon me. I, God, I mean, oh God, I will render praises unto thee. I just realized my phone is on because it's it's loud. Sorry about that. Thy vows are upon me, meaning he is taking a vow with God and they're upon him. Oh God, I will render praises unto thee. He's praising the Lord through his hard times. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Will thou not deliver my feet from falling? I may walk before God in the light. <clears throat> Let's see. That I may walk before God in the light of the living. So he's saying, you've delivered me, my soul from death. He's already knowing he's going to heaven when he dies. But can you deliver my feet from falling while I'm here on earth walking too? That's what he's asking. What a beautiful psalm. Um, And I know some of you can resonate with this. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for using David to go through all these trials so that we can identify with him during our trials and how faithful he was to ask for forgiveness every time he failed. And and Lord, that's a lesson for us too. In Jesus' name. Okay. Thank you guys so much um, for being here today. I am getting a little bit of a kind of a feedback on the sound or is it just echoing? Um, It's probably just me. The mics are so strong here. Um, But anyway, thank you for joining us. And I want to introduce our special guest today. Um, I have wanted to invite her. Um, I don't think I met you. I know I've known about you for a long time, but I don't think I met you probably, probably met you at one of George's things. Maybe you were there. Maybe we kind of crossed paths. But I do know for sure um, we talked um, in November of last year. Right. And so uh, I'm going to 
I'm going to go with that because that I do remember. Mm -hmm. And people have said to me, no, you must have met her here and there and everywhere. I know that we've crossed paths many times, but I'm going to call it last year, November. (laughs) And so welcome, Rosalie. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Sir Halmi. Sir Halmi. (laughs) Okay. Um, I know that we've had your husband on last year. Yes. And thank you for saying yes to coming on this year. Definitely. Um, Now, I would like to... For our audience, I would like our audience to hear a little bit about your background. Um, I especially want to know where you grew up and mm-hmm. and um, if you were a family that went to church at all or maybe just Easter and Christmas mm-hmm. or whatever. So could you tell us a little bit about your bal- yeah, uh, background? Definitely. Um, so it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, so I'm the first born of three children and my parents... Uh, were married back in the 80s, 1980, actually. I was raised in Southern California, and so were they. Um, my mother and father actually were not raised in Christ, but I was. Um, they were raised in Catholic households, and they were exposed to alcohol and partying and drugs at a really young age. Uh, I was in their home. You know, they had access to whatever they wanted. Um, so my father and mother did not have a good a foundation. Um, yes, my father was very uh, involved in the Catholic Church, so he he did have like an awareness of God, and he did want to serve God at one point. He wanted to be um, a priest, actually. Oh. Yeah, he was getting trained for that. Um, but my mother, her family was more nominal in their Catholic faith, and uh, she was at the age of nineteen in a, a very terrible relationship that led her finally to realize she needed Christ. Um, So she gave her heart to the Lord, I want to say back in 1979. Um, She came to know the Lord through Chuck Smith, uh, the Calvary Chapel out there in Costa Mesa. She is baptized out there as well in the ocean with uh, uh, Chuck Smith. He he was her first pastor. And then she was introduced to Raul Reese, actually, not long after that, and started going to Raul Reese's church. I think it was in West Covina at the time. Right. Yeah. Right. I love Rowies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, not long after that, my father, after, so he was raised, like I said, in a Catholic kind of upbringing, but his mother passed away when he was 13. And that really changed uh, the course of his life where he got more and more involved. I think he wasn't so much in drugs when, when he was younger or alcohol, but it, it got worse. Uh, his father was, my grandfather was epileptic. So my dad at the age of 13 had to take care of the two younger siblings as well as taking his father to work. Um, every day um, because his father could not drive himself. But overall, my dad um, was just in trouble, very much in trouble. And uh, one day my my mother, who had just become a Christian, boldly was wearing a Jesus pin on her um, uniform for her. She worked at Clark's uh, back then. And (laughs) is that a clothing store or is that a shoe store? I think it was like a pharmacy, kind of like a CVS. Yeah. Anyways, I think it was called Clark's. And uh, there was a coworker of hers that said, oh, you know, I see your pin. You're a Christian because it says Jesus and diamonds. <laughs> She's like, would you pray for my brother? His name is Paul. He's, you know, it seems like he's probably going to end up in jail. He's very much an alcoholic. And so she was like, okay, I'll pray for him. Um, again, she was new in Christ, but she fell in love with Jesus. And um, so she was going to a single study um, through Rawls Church. And they had some new people coming, um, and the leader of the study said, you know, I'd like everyone to share their testimony of how you've come to Christ and how you ended up here. So they're all telling their testimonies, and uh, turns out a young man named Paul was talking and saying, you know, I had been involved in alcohol, and some a friend of mine called me up and, and prayed with me over the phone, and I gave my heart to the Lord over the phone. And uh, my my sister after that told me, I asked my coworker to pray for you to come to Christ. And my mother's eyes just got as big as saucers. And she was like, wait, is this the same person I was just asked to pray for? And she remembered the name Paul. And so he was like, are you Elva? And she's like, are you Paul? (laughs) So they met each other at that single study. This is your dad and mom? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) That is such a great story. quite a story. It was totally the Lord that put them together. And, you know, it's funny because my dad tells me, you know, he had three other 
girlfriends or fiancés that were um, blonde and, and beautiful, but he never expected. He married my mother, who's brown hair, Mexican. He was like, there's no way that was my type at the time, you know. But God told him very clearly she was going to be his wife. Wow. Yeah, like within four months or so of them, they basically hung out together with the singles group and they would pray for each other's family because my dad's family wasn't saved. My mom's family wasn't saved. So they would together like almost like ministry kind of pray for each other's families. Um, so I think it was that. I don't know what month they, they met, but I know in December of 1979, my dad proposed to my mom like on Christmas Day. Wow. And said, will you be committed to me? And she she didn't realize it was a marriage proposal. She's like, sure. <laughs> and realized after, oh, you want to marry me? Okay. <laughs> so so that was clarified later. And my mom said yes. And they got married uh, September 13th, 1980. They've been married 41 years. Wow. Yeah, so. Such a great story. <laughs> I had to talk about that because that was a huge factor as to how I was raised. You know, I was raised with um, biblical definitely biblical principles in my life. I saw I saw Christ lived out through my father and my mother. I didn't realize a lot of the, the turmoil they had gone through in their life as a young child. I also didn't realize um, the persecution they actually suffered. Uh, their family, you know, didn't want to be around them anymore. They changed a lot, so they didn't like it. My dad was no longer that party animal. <laughs> and my mom just, yeah, she didn't want to go back into that scene at all. So she, they, they decided after they got married, um, they wanted to start a family. Um, for two years, they tried and they couldn't get pregnant. Um, Pastor Rawl, at the time who they were a part of Rawl Reese's church, uh, his wife prayed over my mom and the Lord gave her a word that she was going to be healed and would have a child. Well, in the midst of all that, my parents, uh, my father decided that God was leading them to be missionaries to Columbia. And, uh, I forgot to say that before they got married, my dad had left for six weeks to Bogota, Colombia to help build the school that was being built out there, uh, along with uh, Raul Reese's father-in-law, Eddie Farrell at the time. So, yeah. And uh, they they were planning. They sold everything. And uh, Pastor just didn't have a piece about it because there was a lot of guerrilla warfare going on right then and there. Soldiers there were um, basically killing every foreigner that they could get their hands on. So Pastor Wall said, no, I think it's not a good idea. I don't think you should go right now. And it was within about a week later, they found out they finally were pregnant. <laughs> and that was with me. So wow. yeah, it was the Lord's total plan. Um, so they stayed and continued in ministry at the church at um, Calvary Chapel. Well, now it's called Golden Springs. So yeah. Gosh, they've been there their whole <laughs> they were, uh, entire mm -hmm. um, Christian life. Yeah, really. I mean, definitely they walked with God. At a, they were twenty in their 20s, early 20s when they came to know the Lord. What a great story. Yes. <laughs> so you were born in the 80s or yeah. 1980. Or 1983. <laughs> uh -huh. And um, the first of three children. Yes. Okay. And so they obviously take you to church oh, yeah. from a very young age. Mm -hmm. I was dedicated by Raul Reese. And yeah, we were in church all the time. We did a lot of ministry. Um, my father, uh, I remember we went to Mexico at one point for an outreach. My dad had a home Bible study at one point. Uh, we helped in uh, going to the convalescent home, uh, made sandwiches with my dad for the homeless. So I had a good example, a lot of good examples and a heart. To do ministry, for sure. Wow. Yeah. That's so great. Well, as you know, the old saying goes, God does not have any grandchildren. Mm -mm. So there comes a time when you, too, have to surrender your heart yes. to the Lord. So give us a little bit of background, um, what happens to you before you accept the Lord. What is, what is your life like? And you mm -hmm. haven't accepted the Lord yet, but what is your life like then? Well, I remember um, I made a declaration and I, my dad told me at four years old, I prayed and asked the Lord into my life, but I didn't understand what that really meant. I knew the Bible, um, lot, all the stories, uh, but it wasn't truly personal to me. I started to really want to seek the Lord more at around age 13. I remember committing my, my whole life and saying, I just, I do want to serve you, Lord, and I want to stay pure, too. There was a big purity conference that we were attending at that time. Um, and I just remember saying, Lord, keep me. I don't want to give myself away until marriage. 
until the right person comes into my life. But um, I was homeschooled, actually, for my junior hires. My mother did not like the school that I was going to have to attend. She homeschooled all three of us. Um, it was kind of a new thing. She, you know, didn't have a support group or anything like that. So that was for three and a half years that I was homeschooled. So through my junior high years, I kind of was pretty protected from a lot of things. Um, but I begged my parents to let me go back into school because I had done kindergarten through fifth and I missed the social you know, aspect of it. So they did. I went back and I actually graduated from San Dimas High School. That's where I attended. Um, but it was, uh, I was, I felt like I got thrown into a lion's den. There was just so much that I wasn't aware of. Um, and my, my walk with God started to get shaky. I didn't, I wasn't like, I started to get bored and didn't understand the Bible anymore. And I kind of was distracted. I was distracted for sure by a lot of different things. There was a lot of peer pressure to party, to have a boyfriend. And my mom and dad, their their desire for us was to escape the stuff they saw and they were a part of. So they were always like, no, no, no. <laughs> I couldn't go anywhere, actually. I think I went to one football game my entire four years of high school. Wow. Yeah, I didn't get to go to the dances or anything like that. And I was a little upset about it, but there were good reasons. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you say that because um, my daughter went to a Christian school and she begged, 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 <laughs> do not send me to high school. Oh, wow. uh, you know, I want to go to you know, public school. And we really toyed with that whole idea. Mm -hmm. And we caved in and let her go. I remember the first time she came home from school, she said, Mom, do you know that the girls smoke in the girls' bathroom? (laughs) Oh, no. She says, and I wanted to just drag her out that day. Like when she told me that there was smoking going on in the girls' bathroom. (gasps) And this was in the 80s. Wow. 83, I was born. so. So this was a generation before yours. And mm. she she was horrified. Wow. And I thought, I should yank this kid out today. Yeah. But I didn't. But go ahead. Yeah. I mean, so they protected you and that they was really did. good. Um, and actually, I wanted to mention something very important was um, I decided that I wanted to, I had heard of Cabaret Chapel Chino Valley. Mm-hmm. And I had a cousin, my, my dad's cousin that attended there. We had attended a couple of times when I was younger, just to kind of you know, scope out the church. Plus we were living in, um, we were living in Apple Valley actually at the time. So the commute wow. even to go to Raul Reese's church was rough. We didn't go there every single Sunday. We were at another Calvary out in the desert at one point in my childhood. But um, I remember hearing about a really great youth group that they had at, at Cabaret Chapel Chino Valley. So I was like, I want to give it a shot and try it. So I was going there around age 15. I started coming to Cabaret Chapel Chino Valley and I, I told my parents, I said, I really feel like God wants us to start coming here as a family. I feel the love of God, you know, here. Um, And not shortly after that, um, my father ended up in an accident and was disabled. And uh, our life, it felt like it was just over (laughs) in a lot of ways. Um, But I started to come to Caritano Valley. My mom said, okay, let's just go there. And uh, I didn't didn't know what was going to happen. You know, with my family, it felt... uh, very scary because my dad was no longer bringing the bread home. It was now going to be my mom. So all the roles switched and my father endured a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. Uh, he was only 38 my age, actually, when it happened. Whoa. So, so it was a car accident? He was in a, uh, a company truck, minor minor hit. Somebody hit him. He had a previous injury that got irritated and he went to get a cortisone shot. And the doctor gave it to him in the sciatic nerve. So he, yeah, he became disabled immediately after that. It ruined him. Yeah. It was a very long battle after that. My parents, I mean, they went through a lot. I wasn't sure if they would stay together, but God, they committed to God to stay forever, you know, married. They, they, they honored the vows that they gave before God and they stayed. It was really rocky though, for sure. So that was my high school years. That's, it was kind of wild. But when I went into high school, I I realized I, I was a little angry too at at God, I thought, why did you let this happen to my dad? I was confused. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure about Christianity anymore. I felt like, you know. It tested thought, your faith. Yeah, it totally tested my faith. Yeah, definitely. So, and theirs too. Oh, yes. Very much. My brother and sister as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was not an easy time. A uh, little fast forward, I decided that I wanted to not just be at the youth group, but like be a part of the youth group and serve. Um, and that's where I actually met my husband. He was a leader there in the high school ministry. 
um, he was leaving to be a missionary, and I thought that's pretty neat. But I joined the the brand new worship team because he was the worship leader leaving into another country to serve the Lord. And so I joined the worship team for the high school youth group. And then we sang a couple of times together. It was like an eight people band, <laughs> people group. And uh, he left. And I thought that's really neat, you know, that you went to be a missionary. I, thought, I looked up to that, especially with my parents' story and then telling me what, what they were going to do. Um, but by the age 17, I realized I needed to be more serious about my walk with God, that it wasn't enough for me to just go by what my parents you know, did and my own faith needed to be uh, built on. So I committed to the Lord. I said, okay, Lord, I'm not going to, because I had kind of, I would say I backslid, you know, I stopped reading the word. I started to try to have boyfriends behind my parents back because <laughs> I wasn't allowed to date till I was 18. And so that wasn't good for me. And eventually they found out about it. My brother ratted me out because <laughs> we went to the same high school. So um, by age 17 and a half, I said, okay, God, I'm not going to just sit here. I'm going to serve you all the way. And I meant, if you want me to go to another country as a missionary, I'll even do that. But show me where you want me to go. You know, that was my simple prayer. And not even a, it was about a year after Stephen had already left to Morocco that I had prayed that, that um, we had some issues when I was there at the church where my parents said, we don't want you to be a part of this group anymore. I had drama <laughs> with the drummer. He was pursuing me and he was 18 and my parents didn't like that. So I just said, okay, fine, you know, obey you. I, I won't go to this, this youth group anymore. Um, but within a month, a friend called me up and said, where'd you go? You know, I haven't seen you. Are you okay? And I told my mom, my friends want to see me. Can I just visit again, you know, to make sure that I hang out again with them? And I missed them. You know, I missed my friends. So we went back and it would have been about a year that Stephen had been gone. I forgot all about him. Actually, he left and I didn't even think, you know, he was he's six and a half years older than me. So he wasn't somebody I was thinking about. <laughs> Gosh, and way. if your mom was concerned about an yes. 18-year-old drummer, <laughs> I know. <laughs> here, here's a six-and-a-half-year-old. Right, which he wasn't showing interest in me. I wasn't interested in him. I just looked up to him as an elder, you know, a leader of the high school group. So he comes back, and I didn't know this, but my friends had come and, and visit. And so I did. I went not to the youth group, but to the, the chapel at the time, sat in service. And I had just expressed to my parents my desire to serve God. And that I was like, I don't even think I'll go to college. I think I just want to go straight to the mission field. So they were like, Okay, we'll see, you know, maybe you can go. And, and they, they liked the idea of that because they prayed for me to all of their kids to be in ministry. So they're like, well, you could go like on a short term trip, maybe to Mexico and just get your feet wet. So my mom recognized my then not husband, but going to be sitting in front in the row ahead of me. And she was like, hey, isn't that the guy that left to North Africa? You should talk to him and find out what it's like to be a missionary. So I flagged him down towards the end of service as he was leaving. And he didn't remember me at first, but then he was like, okay, oh yeah, worship team. That was like way, like a year ago, <laughs> I had changed a lot too. And so we started talking and uh, that night we exchanged email addresses. And within a month, God showed my husband that I was going to be his wife. He prayed about it. He fasted and it was real clear that I was supposed to be his wife. <laughs> we didn't hardly know each other though. Um, so yeah, that's what happened. That's kind of what happened to us, but that's okay. It, it's kind of it's God. It's a God thing. When God is in it, oh yeah, God is in it. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, within a month. So your parents approve? Yes, they did actually. Okay. <laughs> My so, husband had a very good reputation. He had been going to Cabbage Up Chino Valley since he was fourteen. Everyone knew him to be an evangelist, taking his friends and his. Uh, different people from high school. He didn't even hardly know and just said, come to church. You know, he'd bring them to church. So everybody knew he was a good, good guy. And he'd been, you know, a year in the mission field. So my parents were like, we know he's solid. So how much later after you meet that you actually get married? Two years later. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of time. Yes. Now, does he go back right away to Morocco or is he staying? A month later, he went right back. Yes. Oh, gosh. So your relationship becomes more maybe online yes. or mm -hmm. phone calls? Emails. 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 Yeah. Okay. And that was really slow going internet at the time. <laughs> but that's an interesting kind of wait. Yes. You know, because you, you know, want to see his face. You oh, wanna, it was hard. You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it must have been a time of really growing in the Lord yes. and, and all the things... Uh, your mother and father must have been happy that he was way away <laughs> yes. and that gave you time to grow up. Oh, or, yeah. You know, grow a little more. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, it was. Um, we were planning to get married like right after I graduated from high school. 
uh, my father said, give me another year with my daughter, please, because I was very studious and I was trying to get A's to be actually I wanted to be a nurse. So I was studying like the sciences and I was very busy with my whole my my work in, in high school. And so he's like, she's always with her nose behind the books. Give me a chance to have a year with her, you know, before she leaves. So we did. We waited. Um, so it was in August 10th, 2002 that we got married. I was 19 and a half. And That's also really interesting because um, a request of a dad, and then you honored that. Oh, yeah. Because, sure. you know, I know for me, my dad, I, I always thought that I was my dad's favorite person because mm-hmm. he used to say that I was, <laughs> and I believed him. Little did I know he was telling all the, the other four kids the same thing. So, <laughs> so um, however, I mean, that's a big ask. Mm. And wow, to... To actually commit yourself to do that and and wait the another year is yeah. a really big sacrifice. Yes, it was. And um, anyhow, um, I'm hearing that reverb. Can you hear that too? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a truck outside. Maybe. Okay, it it's like so loud. It's there we now. go. <laughs> um, okay, so you wait and you yes. get married two two and a half years later. Mm-hmm. So obviously, um, Stephen is in Morocco. Yes. And you're going to go. Right. Exactly. So tell me about that. Yeah, he was already there for two years, had established already a language school, but he was uh, beginning to teach kids English uh, with his mother. And about two weeks or so, almost three, after we got married, we left to Morocco. I had never been anywhere but Mexico, so it was kind of definitely scary, but neat and exciting and all rolled into one. There was a lot of emotions. I was excited to be married. (laughs) Um, I was excited to spend the rest of my life with with my husband. So, yeah, I remember landing in the town and it was a 24-hour trip to get there uh, total. Um, It was like, where did I, and I I don't know where I am. It just looked brown. (laughs) It was was desert. Um, The houses were all painted brown. And so it just didn't look very green like I was used to at the time I had lived in San Dimas, Ontario area. Then um, going there just was completely shocked. I was most nervous about the people because I really didn't know what the culture was going to be like. You know, my okay. husband would try to explain to me. He even had me trying to listen to Arabic tapes like to learn the language. It sounded just like gibberish to me. <laughs> I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. It was It was hard. So yeah, when I got there, it was um, daunting to say the least, but I was super happy to to be starting my life, you know, as right. a wife. But to know I was going to be a missionary was, I really did want to serve the Lord in that way. I just didn't know what it was going to look like. So there was a lot of anticipation um, and so, nervousness. <laughs> so where do you fit in when, when you get there? What do you begin to do? For the Lord, or are you just trying to be a wife? Yeah, basically, my my role was definitely to be a wife, to um, come alongside my husband, to try to learn the language as well, because we knew we were going to have a family eventually. Um, but I wanted to reach whoever I could, but didn't really. Um, something happened. Did we run out of um, Sean, can you hear that? Our we're having um, some feedback and... Can we be heard? I can't There's hear There's a ourselves. real big buzzing on our end. I can't hear you anymore either. Um, I can't hear her and she can't hear me. Yeah. Can you hear us? Oh. I'm just wondering what it sounds like to the to the audience. Okay, we're Anyways. just go ahead. So um, in the end, I started, my husband encouraged me. He said, just start trying to, you know, visit with the neighbors. So I did. And I started learning the Arabic by just sitting with the people. Okay. And it was funny. It was really funny because we talk with our hands a lot because they don't know English. I don't know Arabic. So it was a, a venture of faith for sure to learn. So after you, you do eventually learn oh, yeah. to speak Arabic and Correct. you're more fluent in it yes. right now. Yes. Um, so tell us how long you stay there and some of the things that you accomplished before you mm-hmm. left. Uh, I lived there 10 years total. And and so he'd been there two and a half years prior. Right. So Close he was there tw- total about the 13 years mm-hmm. for him, 10 Correct. years for you. Yes. And and then you find that the Lord is calling you back, back. to the U.S. Right. Yeah. So we and you decide work. to come back. Yeah. So, hey, Rosie. I'm sorry. Can you- I'm, Rody, I'm sorry. You know, if you guys want, you can just take your headphones off and set them on the thing. It's not coming through at all. Everyone out there should be able to hear just fine. Okay. okay. So... 
That's this is weird for me. It's okay. I feel like I'm completely unarmed. <laughs> we can hear each other. So, <laughs> um, so you you then um, have everything in place. Now, does somebody else take your place there? Does the church send someone else? Um, actually, the way it worked out with the it was really the language school that needed to continue. That was a, a tent making for us to be able to live there because being a missionary was not legal. You know, you can't outright say you're a missionary. So the school was, the Lord brought people. We didn't seek out anybody necessarily. God actually brought a contact from Switzerland and said, we want to definitely run the school now and take over as missionaries. And this is our covering. So we were able to sell the school actually to them. And they now have, they are still running that school called California Language Center. Yeah, we named it California Language Center. So, yeah. And so a lot of seeds were planted. Yes. Um, Possibly people came to know Christ through your ministry. There were people who did. And and then you come home. Yes. Now, at that time, you have three children. Yes. And so you pick up where you left off when you were, uh, and you go back to the same church? Yes, we come back. We came back to Carriage Chapel, Chino Valley. Um, We came back because my father-in-law had fallen ill and my husband is an only child and he, his dad did not want any other caregivers. He wanted somebody who he knew. And so my husband said, we need to come. They wouldn't release his dad from rehabilitation. And at the time he was about 70, 78 or so. 79. Mm-hmm. Um, so my husband and I, we said, you know, we need to come. We only had two weeks to make this decision. And we did. And we came within two weeks. So we left everything back there in Morocco. We didn't so bring... you, you didn't even sell the place no, yet? Nothing was resolved or taken care of. Or yeah, my mother-in-law stayed behind though. She stayed behind to run the school for another two and a half years. Oh, yeah. that's how she made up. Yeah, the 15 years. I I was trying to figure out how she had more time there (laughs) when they went at the same time. She stayed She stayed back, and she did. She she continued to run the school, and everything, you know, was not easy for her to do by herself because her son was, you know, not there with her. But it was was a good thing. You know, we were able to be freed up to come back out here, and our pastor was totally supportive of that. He knew that this was important. Wow. What a what yeah. a daunting task. For sure. Um, not just for you guys to just pick up and leave, yes. but um, also for her to stay back. Oh, yeah. It was not easy. God just makes yeah. a way, doesn't he? Definitely. It was hardest on my oldest, too, because she got very used to living over there. Oh. She was nine when we came back. Oh, wow. Yeah. She misses Morocco still. Really? I mean, we all do, honestly. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, when you spend that much time in one place, yeah. yeah. You become very, I became very Moroccan by the end. <laughs> I was I 10 bet. years. And you probably, i not saying this to take away from your ethnicity, but you probably blended in pretty well. <laughs> kind of, yeah. They would tell me I look like like the northern fezzy, um, kind of lighter-skinned Arabs. Yeah. Like, yeah. Moroccans and the the Arabic itself it, it finally came a little more natural to me as time went on so it took me about four years though to really feel comfortable it's kind of interesting because my husband is often mistaken for a Middle Eastern oh okay and he is not Middle Eastern but we've gone to a lot of the Middle Eastern countries mm-hmm. and um he kind of fits right in. People think he's Middle Eastern. And right. um, I don't know what they think I am when I go there, but <laughs> whatever. Um, it's funny how God does things to make yeah. you feel more comfortable. It's true. Um, true. So you come back and you mm-hmm. get into ministry. We've skipped a whole bunch, it's I'm okay. sure. <laughs> you you come back and you've got three children. Mm-hmm. One, the oldest is nine. And you your husband is there to take care of your dad. Yes. You guys probably get jobs here and... Eventually, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, get settled in. Yes. We started working eventually at our, at our church, actually. I started as, uh, working at the bookstore, and my husband is the overseer of janitorial at the church. Okay. So, yeah. And still in ministry? Yes. Are you still doing? We Tell are. me about your ministry now. Um, right now, we are involved in uh, something called um, Ministry to Muslims, as well as a mosque outreach in, through our church, too. Um, my husband's heading that up, where he you know visits different mosques within the IE um, about 15 of them. Uh, he rotates through them and he ministers to the Muslims there. I've gone a couple times with him. We're also doing outreaches to refugees. Uh, this coming Saturday, we'll be going out to San Diego to minister to Syrian refugees and um, other with our whole family and other team members. Um, so, yeah, we continue to, to reach the Muslim people in every way that we can. Right. I know you both have a music ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you both sing because you yes. came from the worship um, team worship is where we team. met. <laughs> and so are you still connected with 
worship in yes. in the, and tell tell us about that. So I started about four or five years ago. I rejoined the worship team, and that's for the main the main team there at Calvary Chapel Chino Valley. I love it, and I'm also part of our songwriting ministry. So it's something I enjoy very much. Wow, songwriting ministry <laughs> that is a real talent. It's a blessing um, for sure. Okay, so you're you're still doing that now. Is is Stephen involved with that as well? Because he was a leader in the right. worship area yeah. there. He does on occasion. We had for two years led um, the worship for like our couples ministry as a couple. Him and I would do worship, but he's not. He's he's definitely a lot more um, busy with the Muslim ministry, reaching uh, the Muslims. That's more of what he's doing right now. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. We. Yes. We did the Muslim ministry with George for a lot of years, okay. so I know what that's like. Um, we yeah. lived and breathed it for, um, gosh, over 12 years, I think. Yeah, he recently is uh, heading that up now in Anaheim uh, as George is making that move to North Carolina. Uh-huh. So that's something exciting for him to do. Right, yeah. right. It's a blessing I, for sure. I talked to him the other day. He said he was um, in San Diego and getting ready for that big um, mm-hmm. um, thing that you yeah, guys are going to. Mm-hmm. So tell me about what your family life is like now. You've got probably teenagers, right? Yes, I have a daughter. Our daughter will be 18 this year, our oldest. Um, my Our middle baby girl, she's going to be 15, and our youngest will be 11. So, yes, wow. I've homeschooled them their entire life as well. So Their entire life? Yes, okay. from the so beginning. <laughs> they're in double-digit numbers. Yes, they are. And you guys are totally outnumbered. You've got three kids. <laughs> right. So um, you're homeschooling, and... Being a very good example, I'm sure, to your your kids, and I know that the teen years were probably our hardest, Yeah. Um, especially when they're so close together. I know my son and daughter were um, two years apart, yes. and it felt like we had more than two teenagers in the house mm-hmm. because of things that were going up For and sure. down and right. around. <laughs> Um, so you guys are experiencing all that yeah, right now. Yeah, it was, it's, it's been a ride. <laughs> Our firstborn, um, I feel like we put her through quite a bit because we were trying so hard to make sure she didn't do anything bad or get involved in anything bad. With, but with that came her feeling of like a suffocation, mm-hmm. like that she could never meet our standards. So we, the Lord had to really, uh, humble us and get us to a point of understanding that they're going to make their own mistakes and they're going to walk on their own journey with the Lord and to remind myself even of where I came <laughs> with my own walk with God. Yeah, because you were a first child too. Yes. And so you saw your, your you know, some of the things your 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 family was trying to keep you from. and Which I didn't know about until later on in life. Right. And I realized, oh, that's why all these rules were in place. Mm-hmm. I get it now. <laughs> but at the time I didn't like it, of course. No teenager likes to be told you can't have fun. <laughs> Right. It looked fun to be with everybody, you know. But yeah, I understand that better now. And that's something I didn't think I'd repeat, but I see how I repeated that at times with our oldest. And so she was she was struggling, and especially mm-hmm. with the transition from North Africa to now the U.S. And she didn't feel like she fit in anywhere, not right. even at church. So, right. yeah, it wasn't easy. I, I understand that because I had similar problems with my kids feeling like they didn't fit in. They were born in... Yeah born in Hawaii, and then I picked them out of there and moved them to California. Mm. And although we went back to Hawaii a lot, um, they they felt like they were straddling two fences. Mm. Um, and um, I, I remember telling them the story. I don't know if this will help you, but, um, you know, I said to them, Bean, you know, when they went to Hawaii, they didn't f- quite feel Hawaiian mm. because they speak a different language there. Um, and... Of course, they speak English, but there's a lot of, um, let's just say, Hawaiian words that blend in naturally to the language there, that unless you grew up with all those different components, which they kind of did, but it still is different. And so they would go there on their own. I'd send them, you know, on their own and they'd call me, mom, somebody said this to me, what is that? (laughs) And And this is people that not just family, but mm. strangers, right? Um, because a lot of Hawaiian words or even Asian words mm. become part of the Hawaiian, not the Hawaiian language, but part of the local language in Hawaii. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they they just didn't feel like 
they completely belong there. Right. And then they get here and they look the way they do <laughs> and they talk the way they do. And they didn't feel completely yeah. that they belonged in California. Right. And I, I would say to them, well, think of your, when you're there, you're, think of you in your Hawaiian structure as being red. Hmm. And think of you when you're in California as being blue. Hmm. You're not quite blue. The people here are blue. <laughs> you're not quite red. The people there are red. But you're a little bit of both. So you're purple. <laughs> I like that. So you look a little different. You sound a little different. But you're a combination of both. That's cute. And um, it's true. You do have to yeah, help them through that. <laughs> yeah. Well, our time has flown by. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Rosalie, for sharing your testimony today. Thank you for having me. And we'll see you again next time. Bye for now. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com, spelled R-A-H-F-I-S-H-E-R at ontheroadwithjesus.com, or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.